Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Got Kip Adams with me today as we uh, kick off a little bit of a talk on Memorial Day. I want to make sure and shout out everybody as we threw up uh, on the uh, Junkyard uh, earlier today. Just want to say thanks to everyone who has made the sacrifice that has allowed us to do silly things like this. Talk about college football, and um, we appreciate uh, the sacrifice of so many men and women in our military I uh, want to give a shout out to Kip for holding the fort down last week. I had a nice little vacation, but it was pretty well timed because it is going to be, uh, you know, hitting the ground running as I get back. And uh, start with you, Kip, just uh, how is this week shaping up as we, um, again, kind of fly through May, understanding that, you know, before we turn around, it's going to be, you know, uh, we'll be really on the heels of media days and, and everything that kind of signals the start of another football season. Yeah, I Still haven't caught my breath. And, you know, a big weekend for Georgia and recruiting. And honestly, a possibly even bigger one on tap. Uh, and like you said, I mean, you got the the spring meetings. Uh, media days are, you know, we'll be here before we know it. So uh, I'm glad we, uh, you know, we had that off season. Uh, I couldn't tell you when it was, but I'm glad that we went ahead and got it out of the way because uh, this is it. I mean, we're basically entering preseason now. So, uh you know, everyone, uh, you know, as a wise man once said, buckle up, because I think things are going to get really entertaining, both in recruiting and obviously, you know, just seeing how fall camp uh, goes for Georgia. No doubt about it. It's, it's always a busy time of year and you think you're going to get a break and then it just is nonstop. And let's talk about what was the big point of conversation, uh, you know, as I was getting ready to go on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and that was the scavenger hunt weekend it was a very successful one for Georgia. They wound up with four new commits, uh, started things off uh, right on time before I left with a punter, Drew Miller, committing to Georgia. But after that, three more guys wound up committing. Four-star tight end Jaden Reddle, three-star tight end Colton Heinrich, and three-star offensive tackle Marcus Harrison. A very good haul for a Georgia uh, 2024 class that all of a sudden looks at uh, itself and, and sees that it's the number one in the nation. Uh, what did you make of the scavenger hunt weekend as a whole, and specifically these guys who who pledged to Georgia and joined what was already a really stacked class for the Bulldogs? Yeah, I mean, Georgia had, you know, some guys on official visits. Obviously, you know, the, those are big. Anytime you can get, you know, the number one wide receiver in the country in town and Jeremiah Smith, that's big. Uh, a guy that I think might be the most talented interior offensive lineman in the country in Casey Poe, getting that first official visit for him as well. And then, you know, a couple of guys who committed in Marcus Harrison and, and Colton Heinrich. I mean, those are big pickups for Georgia. This class, again, you know, there's there's sometimes that lull and You'll have a couple of people wonder, like, where's this momentum? You know, Georgia's got back-to-back national championships. Uh, you know, why are you know why aren't guys just jumping into the fold? Well, I mean, sometimes they want to take some visits because this is a unique process. It's not something you really get to do often. Uh, you're not looking to go in the transfer portal, so you're not really you know thinking I'm going to be able to do this more than once. This is it. And so getting to uh, see, you know, all these outstanding campuses and, and having co- coaching staffs make their pitch to you is, is something that, you know, you don't want to you don't want to not have. You don't want to not experience that. And, and so the, these guys are doing that and getting them on campus now early is is now really important. 
And I think you look at a guy like Marcus Harrison uh, and a guy that wasn't talked about a lot, but six, six foot eight, uh, measured in at, I think, 334 pounds on his visit. Uh, you can't overlook a, a size like that. And I, I don't think that Stacy Searles, once he was able to confirm that and go up and see him, he immediately shot up the board and was a guy that Georgia really coveted. And and so got him on board. You, you get a very talented tight end on board. And honestly, just the fact that, you know, we're still coming off a, a week uh, after Dylan Rayola committed. And so uh, you, you get him on board and he, he comes back and visits. You know, he visits with all the, the guys who are on unofficial visits, like five-star K.J. Bolden, you know, getting a guy like Justin Williams, five-star linebacker on campus, guys like that, the 2025 five-star wide receiver, Ryan Williams. Uh, just being able to get all these guys on campus, not just the guys who committed, but just, the, you know, the, they're doing work for later in this class and even next year's class. So this scavenger hunt's been going on, I think, what, four years now? Uh, and I think it's just been a really, really successful event and, and something that, you know, the, the prospects really seem to love and enjoy. And uh, I think it's not something they're going to be doing away with anytime soon. 16 commits now in this 2024 class. A couple points that I wanted to reiterate that you had talked about, Kip. Um, just uh, how worthwhile it was to have Dylan Riola back in town, have a chance to strengthen some of those relationships. And, you know, when you have really any quarterback, but then, you know, you consider it being the number one quarterback in the entire country, they so often sort of act as the Pied Piper for a class, convincing more people to join them. And, uh, you know, I think there was a little bit of that maybe this past week, but I, I think it's something to continue to watch to see uh, who else decides, you know, those receivers. There's been a lot of talk. Um, you know, it seemed like things went well with Jeremiah Smith, who's the number one receiver in the nation. Uh, he's going to be somebody to watch as he is uh, currently pledged to Ohio State. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just going to be fascinating how Ryola factors in for Georgia and uh, what sort of happens there. And then, two, you know, it, it's sort of funny looking at the tight end room at Georgia this year. You know, there was sort of some questions coming off of the 2022 season because you lose Darnell Washington in the NFL, you have three guys who transfer. And obviously you feel good having brought Bowers back, but then you have, you know, there, there was still some questions with Oscar Dope coming back and then two freshmen. Well, then you go through the spring, Pierce Sperlin looked good in the week that he was able to participate before he gets hurt. Lawson Lucky is pretty much the talk of spring, so you feel really good there with those guys. And then you've all already got two tight ends committed in this next class. Uh, definitely shaping up. You know, you never really uh, want to doubt Todd Hartley, but I think some people were a little, uh, I don't know if concerned is the right word, but they had questions after, you know, you go after Deuce Robinson, you don't get him. A couple other targets out there on the West Coast that they had coveted decided to go elsewhere. Uh, they're in really good shape at tight end, and that should be uh, of no surprise to anyone who has not only followed this team, but just seen what Todd Hartley has done and the reputation he's built for himself. Yeah, he gets a couple guys that, again, you, obviously, uh, Jaden's a guy that high in the rankings, very athletic. You watch the videos of him this spring. Uh, it just looks like he's a major mismatch. It's tough for the you know for DBs or linebackers to to defend him in the passing game, and so that's that's the type of uh, player in this offense that Georgia has really really been able to you know, advertise and, and utilize the last couple of years after going, you know, what seemed like a decade of, of getting guys that, who were talented tight ends, but then everyone's like, why aren't they using them? Why aren't they using these tight ends? And and people aren't saying that anymore. You know, 
with Brock Bowers just breaking records and and seemingly, you know, being one of the most productive tight ends in college football over the last couple of years. Uh, now Todd Hartley can go to any tight end in the country and, and show them, you know, we're going to use you. And I think that's definitely that what paid off with Jaden. And then, yeah, with Colton, uh, he's a guy that I think a little underrated by the industry right now, kind of like Austin Lucky was last year. Uh, a guy that, you know, has a lot of inline experience, started out as a tight end, I mean, as a center, played along the offensive line, but now, you know, six foot three and a half, 235 pounds, is really a guy that does a lot of, uh, you know, really good work after the catch, is able to break tackles and make plays, you know, after after bringing down the ball. And I think he he had a 30-yard catch in his spring game where he did just that. He shook off multiple tackles. So I think that's a guy that, again, you know, when Todd Hartley gets his pick of basically any tight end in the country, and, he, and, and this guy is his, you know, tight end in the class, you, you know, he's a really, really talented prospect. But, you know, I would not be surprised if in the end, Georgia ends up taking three tight ends in this class just because they're just in on too many really, really talented guys. And, and so just something to keep an eye on. I know Todd, uh, you know, it's probably right now they're having to hold him back from taking four to five tight ends because he's got them lined up. Uh, but I, I do think that in the end, he can end up getting, a you know, another guy in this class, uh, you know, whether – you know, it's it's a guy flipping a guy committed to Florida State and Landon Thomas or, you know, just uh, the other tight ends there that they are still in on. I think that he will end up getting another guy just because uh, you mentioned Brock Bowers. I'm pretty sure this is probably his last year playing college football. Wow. I, I'm glad you uh, you uh, hit us with that bombshell. You know, can't uh, can't imagine anyone else has has reported that so far, Kip. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh it's wild to see the amount of talent they've had and, and uh, you know, they're going to continue to stack. And I think you're right. They're going to go after whether it is, as you mentioned, Landon Thomas, a one-time Georgia commit. Um, it sounded like once he had flipped that they weren't closing the door on, on working really hard to get him. Um, and we're going to follow that and see what comes of it. Uh, before we change the conversation to what's coming this week, you know, we're almost to the month of June, just looking ahead, Kip, and, and you don't have to talk about specific people. But how big are these next few weeks for Georgia? We've already talked about they're already in great shape with this class, 16 commits. But they do have some more big-time targets that are coming into town these next few weeks. Uh, how important is this stretch for Georgia as they continue to work toward what really uh, several people in this industry believe could be the best class of all time when it's said and done? Yeah, I mentioned Georgia having 16 commits. And June 2nd, next weekend, I believe they're going to have 16 official visitors on that first weekend in June, which is just incredible. Uh, just to, to think about, because at the same time, at the end of the month, uh, they're going to be holding their camp. So it's camp season at Georgia. Uh, they're going to have prospects coming in and, and working out for the coaching staff. These official visitors won't. Uh, you can't actually uh, work out for the coaching staff on official visits, but you can just work out with other players on your own if you want to. But Nevertheless, this is going to be a huge weekend for Georgia. They've been working, you know, all throughout the evaluation period. They were lining up official visitors uh, for for next month. And I think, you know, they're uh, pushing 40 official visitors uh, for the month of June. And unless the NCAA changes the, the rules, you only get, I believe, uh, it's like 54 official visits 
and they're definitely going to be well over 40. They, they might use, you know, they might only have a handful left for the season at this point. But uh, even with prospects being able to take unlimited official visits as of now, they haven't changed that rule for, for colleges. So Georgia's lining them up uh, this weekend's huge, obviously getting five-star linebacker Sammy Brown on campus for his official visit next month will be huge. That's something that we're going to be watching five-star KJ Bolden. They're both coming in June 9th, but you know this weekend, uh, getting a guy like five-star uh, edge Dylan Stewart, uh, five-star defensive lineman Justin Scott, five-star wide receiver Ryan Wingo is a guy we've really been watching for a while, a guy that we, you know, we think George is kind of trending with. He'll be in town, and, well, Dylan Ryle will be back in town for his official visit. So, obviously, getting him on campus uh, with a five-star receiver yet again, Probably pretty good news for Georgia. So uh, it's going to be just a, a jam-packed June as far as uh, getting these guys on campus. A lot of official visitors. So this is this is heating up. This is the the biggest recruiting part of the year. It used to be November, December. Now they're, they're trying to win these recruiting battles in June, and they're trying to get them on campus, uh, you know, as early as possible. So that that'll be what we're kind of covering over over this next week. And uh, there are a lot. I don't expect this this commitment list to be at sixteen uh, by the by the time June is over. I would imagine some of these guys go ahead and and, and make their decisions. And I think Georgia's trending for for several several big time prospects. It's a safe bet to make, and you can bet we're going to be following it uh, every day and every step of the way, there's no doubt. So we will take a quick break, come back, and talk about what will be a busy few days down in Destin for SEC spring meetings. Welcome back, everybody. Well, yeah, the uh, the trip uh, back to Florida is on uh, uh, on the radar for me, as well as a lot of coaches, a lot of administrators getting ready to go to Destin uh, for the annual SEC spring meetings. A lot of topics that will be discussed, but Kip, I think it would be a mistake not to talk about the biggest one, which is what this conference schedule is going to be. You know, there's been a lot of debate since Texas and Oklahoma officially joined and, and have plans to join the SEC next summer. And, uh, you know, the countdown's sort of been on. You know, it seemed like maybe a decision would be made last year. Nothing came of it. Now you're kind of into this year where the clock is very much ticking before the Longhorns and the Sooners come into the conference. You know, it was very interesting. There were reports last week about, uh, you know, the conversation maybe switching a little bit. You know, as it stands, the SEC currently has eight conference games per year. Uh, for a long time, it seemed like the consensus was, okay, they're going to move it to nine with the conference growing to 16 teams. And there's been a little pushback on that. There's been some conversations saying, well, maybe they will stick with this eight-game schedule. And, uh, Kip, I, I could see you shaking your head. I think you and I are on the same page. I think it would be a mistake to stick to the eight-game schedule. But I want to get your thoughts. What do you think of just the, the possibility that that could happen, that even as this conference expands, they stay put with the eight-game schedule going forward? I think it's a terrible idea for them to even consider the eight game schedule. And I don't understand, uh, you know, why the vote hasn't already occurred yet. I mean, uh, it's you would hope it, it at least happens this week. Definitely not a guarantee. Uh, but I mean, the, the clock is ticking here. And so I, I do not understand why you would even consider uh, eliminating basically multiple uh, rivalry games. Just, I mean, that's what would happen. You keep an eight-game schedule, you're not going to be able to keep, you know, the South's oldest rivalry be on the chopping block. You know, 
Texas and Texas A&M wouldn't play each other every year. You know, you know, the third Saturday in October, these games would all be, you know, potentially going out the window as, as annual games. Well, what are we doing right now, SEC? Like, why have we not voted yet? I, I, I get it. You know, you're bringing in two premier programs like Texas, Oklahoma. There's leverage here. That 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 media deal. You you want that TV money to to, to shoot through the roof. I understand it. I mean, that's what it always boils down to. Uh, money will, will always be that factor. And I'm sure there are schools that would love to have one less conference game. You have, you know, programs like Missouri, Kentucky. You, being bowl eligible is an important thing for them. Uh, financially speaking, and I understand it, but I can't, there's still too many programs in this conference who are, you know, competitive and have championship, you know, desires every, every year, but also at the same time, uh, there are some major games that should continue to be played on an annual basis. And it is not worth considering, you know, keeping the eight game model and then losing some of these, you know, the storied matchups in favor for an archaic scheduling system. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. And there's a few points that I think are really interesting and worth diving into. One, when it comes to, you know, the conversation about eight games popping up about a week before these meetings, I I don't think it's unheard of that this was leaked for a reason, that this is putting pressure on that side that is wanting eight games because, you know, Kip, you can speak up if you think I'm wrong. I mean, I've seen pretty much everyone who has reacted to this push back on this notion of staying with eight games. I think that maybe there are people who understand what a mistake that would be, and that's how this information got out. And, and that will make this week a lot more fascinating. And, and you know, it could lead to some, some really hurt feelings. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of these meetings. Uh, you know, media – We'll only really get to talk to the the coaches and the administrators and Commissioner Greg Sankey coming out of meetings. So we're not sitting in the room, you know, eating popcorn, watching this debate go on. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you hit on it. It doesn't make sense to stick with this model. It doesn't make sense, as you noted, you know, more than likely, if they stick with eight games, they're going to go to a 1-7 uh, scheduling model where you have one permanent opponent. Georgia would get Florida because they're certainly not getting Auburn because the Iron Bowl is going to be saved. Um, so to lose the Deep South's oldest rivalry um, for basically no no real legitimate reason uh, is a mistake. Uh, two, I mean, it, to me, it, it is all about the money, and I understand that. But um, you have to think long term, and you have to think about the health of the sport. And I think if you get away from some of these rivalries, we're already looking at a college football uh, where the regionality is falling apart. You know, I mean, you've got. USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, and, and you've got all these other moves that are in progress, UCF being in the Big 12, things like that, BYU. Um, you know, I think it's a mistake not to try to preserve as much of that as you can because I can guarantee you the SEC will not be hurting for money. I understand uh, why they're trying to, you know, sort of situate themselves in this way. But I think in the long term you have to think about the health of the conference and, and making sure that people are taken care of. Um, and, and the other only point that I would say that's going to be really interesting out of this week, if it looks more and more like there will not be a vote, is to see how Greg Sankey responds. You know, you hear a lot when you look at Sankey and the job he's done. A lot of people want to point to Mike Slive and say, well, Mike Slive wouldn't have let this happen, the, the previous commissioner of the SEC, talking about how he would put his foot down and basically say everybody's getting on board with this 
or, you know, you're going to have to, I, there's the door. I mean, we're going to do it this way uh, or the highway. I think this is a situation where maybe Greg needs to really step up. You know, he's been the commissioner for several years at this point. I think he's established to the point where if he understands what's at stake, he needs to make that known. And, uh, you know, there are advantages, I think, if they stick with a game schedule, like you said, for teams like Kentucky, teams like Missouri. Uh, also, I think teams that would be right there on the edge of making the playoff once it expands, think about like an Auburn or an LSU in any given year. If they have one less conference game, that kind of does set them up better to try to sneak into the playoff. But I think on the whole, you have to recognize if you're Greg Sankey, what's at stake and uh, what's best as as far as a product is to switch to the nine-game slate. Uh, to try to do that 3-6 model, in my opinion, three permanent opponents and then have the other six rotating. And um, if they let this linger past this week, I think it's a mistake. And I think it's a situation, if you're the commissioner, I think you can't allow it to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the most, I guess, interesting aspect of this and what I'm going to be watching this week is I want to see what Nick Saban says because – Huge supporter of the nine-game model. Uh, for years, Saban talked about we need more conference games. And he wa- he was in favor of this a year ago. And then we find out what we think are going to be those permanent rivals. And the ones for Alabama that you know, came out would be what? Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. Now, is Saban still in favor of the nine-game model after finding out you know he's not going to get a Vanderbilt or Missouri or South Carolina every year. It's, uh, you know, if he does a complete 180 all week and he starts pushing back and wanting the eight-game model because, you know, he wants to get back in that college football playoff and, you know, hasn't been able to win it the last couple of years. You know, we're going to be watching to see if he, he says something like that or if he comes back and still supports the nine game. And if he is pushing for eight games, We'll also find out how much pull he still has in this conference, you know, after not winning the national championship the last couple of years and having, you know, Kirby Smart be the the guy walking in uh, into Nashville as, you know, the defending champion once again. Will Greg Sankey, I mean, how much pull will he have and, and how powerful is Nick Saban's voice still in this conference right now? Uh, his opinion could be really important, but also, I mean, like you said, just watching to see what Greg Sankey, how he handles it. If you have a prominent head coach like that, you know, pushing for a specific model, uh, you know, what do you do? And so this is just one of those moments for Greg Sankey to see, you know, you know how strong he still is and, and, you know, if he's able to, to do what's best for the conference versus what's best for specific head coaches. No doubt. And I will be fascinated talking about Kirby is sort of what he sees and what he says, because he spoke at uh, the pro-am a few weeks ago in Birmingham and was asked, and he played his cards really close to his vest. I mean, basically said, well, there's an advantage to the eight game or the nine game. Didn't really have a whole lot to say. We'll see if he's a little bit more open, especially if, you know, those conversations sort of stall out. Um, I want to get your opinion about one other thing that I do think will be talked about uh, while we are in Destin. And it's uh, the idea that uh, the SEC, some of the ideas that the SEC uh, are currently throwing around about uh, stopping fans from storming the field. Um, There's been conversations, uh, Georgia Athletic Director Josh Brooks was part of a panel that sort of looked into this along with Mitch Barnhart and Greg Byrne. And one of the ideas that have been floated is that uh, if your fans uh, storm the field after a game, 
the next time you're slated to play that opponent uh, in your home stadium, it would instead be played there as punishment for that. Um, I'm not of the belief that that is actually going to pass. I think there's going to be too many coaches who put their foot down. Um, but I will say, you know, props for trying to find a way to solve this issue because it is a legitimate uh, situation where, you know, people can get hurt. And you think about players walking off the field, um, you got a lot of fans that are going crazy. You want to try to curb that. I even think about in men's basketball. I know there was a situation last year with Arkansas. Uh, and Auburn, where the lights basically went off and all the fans stormed the field, and it just wasn't a good situation. Um, what do you think about the possibility of that sort of punishment for fans storming the field? And and is there maybe a better option uh, to kind of go down rather than do something that drastic? Yeah, I would say that's a, that's a little on the extreme side. And I know it's interesting because, uh, you know, Josh Brooks, another bit of news fr- from this past week, getting that extension as the athletic director uh, at Georgia and getting the raise. He, I know he's, he's part of that panel that's just been kind of weighing the options and kind of gathering as much input as they can. Yeah, I expect that would be presented this week, whatever their proposal is. And, and you know, maybe – they vote on something like that and, or at least advance it to the, uh, you know, the just voting maybe this week or paneling it for next year. It would be, I would be shocked if, if they did something that strong or even, you know, something stronger, like having f- games forfeited. Uh, I just don't think they're going to gain much traction, but something, I mean, I do think something needs to be done because safety has become more of an issue in this. I know it's something that's just been part of college football for a long time, but uh, lots of things. I mean, uh, there are changes made every year uh, for the safety of the game, and that still has to be the most important, not just for the players, but also the fans. Um, I I think just, you know, hitting schools with fines is obviously not effective enough. I do not think that moving games uh, will will be the move. There's got to be a middle ground there. So you're right. I'll be interested to see what they do. Um, I think, you know, you got to find a penalty that's just not financial. Uh, but you, you can't start taking away games or or wins from from programs. That that is way too extreme. So interested to see what they fig- what they find out and and if they vote on it. Yeah, I'll be fascinated to see what happens because it's funny. You know, the current situation. Current penalties involve uh, finances. You know, I think it might be a $50,000 fine for the first time it happens. Um, But if you'll remember, I think it was Tennessee's president who uh, had lit a cigar and was basically like, we'll pay the money uh, after they beat Alabama. So um, they're going to have to get creative, I think. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I don't think right before you rush the field, the fans yell to each other, you know, what about the fine? And then, and then, you know, someone puts their hands up and waves everyone to stop. And everyone's like, yeah, we don't want our school to get fined. That competitive, you know, we need that competitive advantage. So, you know, that's that's always been a fantasy. But I also don't think fans are going to, you know, not storm the field because the game might be moved. It's just I don't I don't think any of those things actually keep fans from from storming the field there. You know, at this point, they, they make that decision uh, in the heat of the moment. And so that has to probably be taken into consideration that you, I mean, you have to maybe implement ways of physically preventing fans from getting on the field that maybe the venues, you know, changes have to be made and and things implemented that keep them from being able to get on the field. Because I don't think games or scheduling changes or even forfeiting is going to keep someone from being excited in the moment if their team pulls off a, a conference upset. 
I think you're totally right. And again, a storyline that definitely is going to be worth following. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. I would just say keep an eye out on Dogs 247. I'll be down in Destin this week. Uh, you'll hear from Kirby Smart. You'll hear from Mike White. You'll hear from Josh Brooks, who will have a lot to talk about, including uh, the baseball change for Georgia with Scott Strickland, no longer the head coach. I will be sure to at least pass those words along, and, and there will be plenty of content. And uh, depending on what happens, we may do a podcast I will meet down in Destin, kind of wrapping up some of the things that have gone on. But uh, we will wrap this episode up there. Appreciate everybody who checked this out. Uh, everyone who is watching this live on Memorial Day and everyone who is checking this out after the fact. We really appreciate y'all's support. Uh, we'll uh, be uh, done right here uh, for Kip Adams. I am Jordan Hill. And until next time, take care. Praise the Lord.